0: Uh, we're going to be over in First Peter chapter 4 tonight. I'm going to try to preach to you uh, out of this passage in First Peter chapter 4. Whenever uh, I get done preaching, you can ask Vanessa, my wife, what did he preach about? And she'll probably pull out that line from Andy Griffith that that was uh, a good sermon on sin. And uh, about 99% of the time, she's lying to you because I didn't preach on sin. But tonight, I'm going to preach on sin. That's what we're going to preach on, is sin. In fact, if I put a title on this, the title will be, Let's Be Done With Sin. Let's Be Done With Sin. That's the title, Let's Be Done With Sin. Um, I want to pray first, and just ask the Lord to help me. Uh, This is a prayer for me, and y'all go ahead and pray for me too while you're at it. And uh, we'll just ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll get into this, this message. You now, let's pray together. Lord, I need your help as I try to tra- uh, try to share this truth with your people. I-, I think it's something that you'd have me to share with them. Uh, you've been speaking to me about it over the last several days, and I believe it's what you want me to share. But I, I pray, God, that you will help me to articulate it in a way that's helpful, that uh, the people that are listening will be able to apply it to their own hearts and their own situation. And I pray that you will use it for your honor, your glory, and for the, um, the furtherance of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think right now we're all trying to uh, adjust to a new reality. And as I mentioned just a minute ago, we, this is the way we're living right now, one way or the other, for right, wrong, indifferent, it's probably going to be the way it's going to be at least through the end of this month. Now, I, I'm hoping and praying that when all that's done, it's, it's over and we can go on. But I don't know if that's reality or not. I, don't, I think I may be wishful thinking. But we're all adjusting to a new reality. It's homeschool for everybody. I mean everybody. My son, uh, Eli, was up here playing the bass just a second ago. He's in college. He's a freshman in college. But he's having to do homeschool college. Who would have thought of that? But we're having to do that. Work has changed. Some people are able to work from home. That's, I mean, if you're able to work from home, that's a blessing, I understand, but it's also a different way of doing work, so you have to adjust to that. Uh, Even if you're not working from home, you're probably working less, or your work is different. I know uh, some are talking about having less hours, trying to manage a four-day work week and things like that, And, and then others are talking about how they don't really have a job to go to. They've been laid off of work. And even if none of that's affected you yet, maybe you're working just as hard as you ever did doing everything you always did. Uh, I can tell you, you're not going to the restaurants. You're not able to go to the shopping centers. You're not able to go to church like you used to. There's a lot that's a change for us. A lot's different, a lot is unusual. But I want to I promise you in this circumstance that Satan is not social distancing. He is not leaving us alone. He is, there is no quarantine For our sinful desires of the flesh, that is still with us. And in fact, the the ripples that come out of this stay-at-home order that we are all working under right now may actually open up, and and, and we would never admit this out loud, but I'm going to go ahead and admit it out loud, that, that this may actually open up some new avenues of temptation for us. Frankly, there's less accountability for our time like there might have been if you were going into the office or the workplace or the uh, the factory floor. You don't have as much accountability for your time. You young people who are on this, you don't have to go to class in the same way, get up at the same time. You don't have that accountability. We also have more time, especially if you are truly staying at home, as they're suggesting we do. If you're doing that, you're spending much more time, I know you are, absorbed in media and entertainment which definitely opens the doors for what kind of media and entertainment are you absorbing. There's also, even if none of that's true, which I think is true for more of you than is going to say, yes, you might be shaking your head no right now. That ain't me. But I bet it is more of you than you'd like to admit. But even if it isn't, There's new anxieties, there's new frustrations that start surfacing because of this. All of that serves to introduce new temptations and intensify those internal struggles that may have already been there. Everything from overeating because you just got the refrigerator around the corner, to to wasting time, to maybe indulging in immoral behavior, to filthy talk, to Selfishness and anger. I mean, if I hadn't hit on your sin, that's okay. You know what your sin is. We all have them, right? And 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 it's it's more we're more prone to them in different ways because of that. So I say that to say it's best not to ignore it. It's best to instead attack it, as Romans eight thirteen says. We should kill it, get at the get at the root of this thing and kill it. Of course, in the power of the Spirit. So let's look, at, turn our attention to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to start with good news. Look at verse 1. I want to start with the good news. The first, the first phrase there, the first uh, 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 phrase that he has there, says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. So he's saying here that Jesus Christ suffered for your sins. That's the good news. It starts there. Jesus has suffered for our sins. As Paul says in Romans, for in that he died, speaking of Christ, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. What Jesus did on the cross is he died for my sin and your sin. as as uh, John says in 1 John 2, 2, he died for the sins of the whole world. He did on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. He took care of the power of sin. He addressed the penalty of sin. We know Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin are death. But it's the gift of, gift of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we have that gift of eternal life. That's what we have. So he's taken away the penalty of sin. And one day, thank you, praise the Lord, we'll have no longer have that presence of sin with us anymore. We'll be out of this sinful flesh. We'll be with the Lord eternally. So he gave us, instead of giving us the death that we deserve, Jesus died on the cross so that our sin would be paid for, forgiven, taken care of. More than that, removed, defeated, overcome. That's what he did on the cross. And because of that, I have eternal life. Amen. I'll say amen. Nobody's here to say it except for a couple. I'll say amen. Amen. We've got the Lord who's taking care of our sin. So he says, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, he says, well then... You need to do something. He goes and says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. It brings to my mind, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, where it says, it's speaking of a different attribute of our Lord, but essentially says the same idea. It says that let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He's saying that, that Jesus is modeling something for us, That we need to now do so we need to have a the same kind of mind the mind specifically towards sin because he goes on to say that for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin what was Jesus's mind towards sin well it was to cease from sin and that that word cease from sin doesn't necessarily mean to stop doing sin uh, we believe that Jesus was a sinless. He did not, per, he did not uh, 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 do sin. He was not one who committed sins. That was not our Lord. He was perfect. So when it says there he ceased from sin, it wasn't that he was sinning and then he stopped sinning. That's not what happened. He's saying that he ceased from sin, meaning he was done with it, which is my title of the sermon. He was done with it. He said, it's over. I'm finished with it. I'm taking care of it. I'm going to overcome it. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, not only did Christ die for our sins, but he says in chapter 6, verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, can I put it to you this way? Sin still exists in this world. I'd like to think it was gone, but it's not gone. We have it all around us, we have people all around us that sin. We sin, sin exists in this world. But we can have this same attitude, that's the idea, the the same mind, that same approach, that same attitude that the Lord had, which is we're not gonna enjoy it. In fact, we're gonna do everything we can to overcome it. You see, this world is full of temptation. It absolutely is. And yes, I live in unredeemed flesh. This flesh is not going to see heaven. Me, Matthew Tilly's going to see heaven. I get to be in heaven one day with my Savior for eternity, but it will not be in this flesh. I will have a glorified body. I will be transformed. This flesh will rot and die because this flesh is unredeemed. I live in this, but I don't have to wallow in my sin. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh... To fulfill the lust thereof, Paul says in Romans 13, verse 14. So we are to have, in this first verse he says there, Christ suffered in the flesh for our sins. So we need to arm ourselves with that same mind. We need to have this attitude that Christ had, which is, let's be done with sin. We're done with it. It's over. We're not going to entertain it anymore. Yes, it's going to happen. And we are not going to put up with it anymore. We're not going to deal with it anymore. We're done with it. We're going to have that attitude. Well, if we are, verses 2 through 6 explain to us what it is, that what kind, how we're going to actually live out this attitude of being done with sin. Look, look at verse 2. He says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? Not my will, but thine. He lived his whole life in the flesh. He lived it not for his desires, not for what he wanted. You remember even the temptation that Christ faced when when the when the devil came to him. What was he tempting him with? Well, we want to make sure your stomach is fed, we want to make sure that that people worship you, that that you know that the father's taking care of you. He was trying to take care, he was trying to get the the devil's trying to get the Lord to take care of his own needs. And Jesus is basically saying, no, no, don't worry about me. What does the Father want? What is the Father's will? He was all about the Father. He was always seeking to please the Father. And our Lord's suffering on the cross is, should be too precious to us. His example should be too strong for us that we want to model after him, that we want to not live, as it says there in verse 2, live the rest of our time in the flesh to the lust of men, but instead to the will of God. For all that is in the world, John says in 1 John two sixteen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. It's, it's those things that say, I want the lust of the flesh. What makes me feel good? That's what's going to be what I pursue. Uh, the lust of the eyes. What, what looks good to me? That looks good. I, that looks appealing to me, so I want to take that and consume it. Or, or the pride of life. What makes me look good? That's the stuff that is the lust of the flesh. And he says that's not what we're here for. We're not here for that because we've seen the example of our Lord, Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ His example was he lived his entire life to please the Father. We're going to follow in his footsteps and we're going to do as Paul says in Romans 12. We're not going to be conformed to this world because being conformed to this world, do you know what they do? They live their lives to do what feels good, to pursue what looks good to do what makes them look good. That's what they do, the lust of the the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what being conformed to this world looks like. He says, no, no, we're not going to do that, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove, we can identify, we can pursue what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, for you and me, if we are Christians... If we look at Jesus, look at the cross and say, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We want to have the mind that Christ had towards sin. We're done with sin. We're going to say, I would rather please God than any man. I'm going to rather please God than even my own flesh because God's will is the ideal. God's will is pleasing to me. God's will suits me. See, unfortunately, we use those terms of what's ideal what's pleasing what's suitable for me we do it in terms of what looks good what feels good what makes me look good that's what we do but he's saying no no no. what's suiting what's pleasing what is ideal is what makes god pleased with us we're no longer conformed to this world so if we're going to have this i'm done with sin attitude that jesus had the first thing we're going to do is we're going to focus on pleasing the father we're going to focus on pleasing the father Secondly, go down to verse 3 with me. He says, For the time past of our life, excuse me, let me start that again. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. He's essentially saying there, there was a time where it was normal for us to do what everybody else is doing. That's what he's saying in that verse. He goes on to say, When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banqueting, and abominable idolatries. He says now that we're Christians, we've clearly got a change of pace, where lives are different. Sin was normal. By the way, if you look around at the the world around us right now and you actually pay attention to the way people operate and the way that people act and the way that people think, this is the normal ways of life. And these are the, 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 the ideas that he's talking about in this passage. In verse 3, there's sexual promiscuity. I dare you to turn on a television program at a random time in an, in an evening, whenever it's most of the prime time viewing time. I dare you on just about any channel that's not news, and even then sometimes the news is like this, and there not be a sexual undertone, if not overtone, to the conversations that are going on. It's almost impossible to avoid. That's because the culture that we live in is so sexually charged, and it's to a point of perversity. But that's that's normal. That's natural. Physical cravings. I mean, we live towards physical cravings. Everything from what fills our stomach to, again, I already mentioned the sexual, but also what makes us feel good in terms of you know that energy drink or you know these all these things that we're all about what does our body want physical cravings and this idea of revelings and banquetings isn't it always i mean you you look at these television commercials and what do they do and they're promoting a lifestyle of always having a party always having a good time and don't get me wrong i enjoy a good time as much as the next person but let's be honest about it that cannot be a way of life there has to be there has to be this is God's plan, by the way, not just moral teaching here. This is God's plan. There has to be regular rhythms of rest and work, rest and work. And yes, time for celebration. Yes, time for jubilee. But if we have these lifestyles, as, as it says here, this is sinful, That is always a good time, always a party. And then he talks about there at the end, uh, abominable idolatries. When we think of idolatry, we often think about all these uh, these. these Countries way back in the, the, the woods somewhere that nobody has never seen other people and all that. And they're worshiping animals and idols and things like that. That is certainly in view here, absolutely. But let me tell you, this culture, we worship all sorts of things. We worship all kinds of things. Everything from the careers that we take, which, by the way, there's something right about doing a good job at your job, but there's another thing about taking that job and elevating it to a godlike status and it becoming my identity. Everything from the jobs that we work to the possessions that we hold to, to everything else, even the governments that we, that we try to, I think, rightly submit to, we can put them up as God's. The point is that this culture worships lots of things. All of this is to simply say, when, yes, we think about sin, we think of, ooh, that's gross, that's disgusting, that's something nobody should be doing. And yes, that's right. But it's also the stuff that everybody's doing. This is what we miss about sin. I think we like to think it's something other people do. But let me tell you, and I can say this with a lot of brashness and boldness because you're not here to come at me. But I'll tell you, you're sinners, just like the rest of them, are sinners. And he says here, if you are in Christ, there should be a change of pace. What that means is you are to be sanctified. I, I'm not suggesting that that new sinner always, or excuse me, that new believer is always going to completely reject everything in the past. I know some of you maybe have had trouble quitting smoking or losing weight or, or changing lifestyles, maybe drinking and things like that. I get that that the Lord has to work on you over time, but the point is there ought to be a trajectory in the right direction away from these things, and that's His point. There's clearly a change of pace. But when that happens, and here's the point in verse 4, when you do that, when you, change, when you change direction, when you're operating in a way that's different from the world, what happens, verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them in the same excessive riot speaking evil of you. Those people around you are going to look at you and say, what an odd person. They're not doing what everybody else is doing. They're going to be looking at you, in fact, even verbally abusive towards you, potentially, speaking evil of you, saying things about you, maybe even to you, that are disrespectful, rude, and obnoxious. They're going to do that because you see, you've been operating in a certain way, but because Christ has changed you, the Holy Spirit is uh, 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 transforming you and changing you, sanctifying you because that's happening. There's going to be a hard adjustment. There's going to be a hard adjustment. Those around you are going to look at you strange. Can can I go ahead and admit as well, he's not talking about this in this passage, but as I think about this, I think some of the adjustment might, might not just be those around us, but it might be with us too we know that we ought not do those things but it kind of hurts us man i wish i could look at what all my other friends are doing man i wish i'd like to because man that hurts it's going to hurt you but you see what jesus's sufferings do they motivate us to endure the pain that's associated with distancing ourselves changing our lives he's going to motivate us to endure that pain to say no to some things, to whenever we do go into sin, we do pursue, we commit sin, we're going to confess that sin to him. We're going to say, God, I know that was wrong. I know that not, no, I'm not, I'm not confessing it to you because somebody else said it was wrong. I'm saying because I know it's wrong and I know you are displeased with this thing that I've just done. And we're going to take the pain of even living our lives more openly. I would suggest to you, talking about not making provision for the flesh, some of the times we need to be a lot more open with the way we live our lives. I've tried to make this a practice of my life. I'm not not perfect on this by any means, but something I've tried to do more of which is to make sure that my life is as open of an open book as possible, that there aren't many, if any, secret parts in my life. Because you know what happens in the secret and in the dark? That's where the bad stuff starts to fester. But if we can be the kind of people that are open, by the way, you're going to be open to criticism when you do that, you're going to be open to people throwing darts at you. You're going to be open to people saying, I don't think you ought to have done that. But you've got to be willing to be open to that and be willing to do, endure that pain because you know that your Lord suffered for you, so you're going to be motivated to take the pain as necessary. Go on with me to verse 5. I'm wrapping up here. He says, talking about these people who are, who are persecuting you, he says, those people shall give account to him That is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now, one day, these persecutors, these people that are looking at you and saying ugly things about you, they will one day face God. He will judge the dead and the living, the quick and the dead. That's what He's saying there. He's going to judge everybody, nobody will escape His judgment. But I want to caution you, especially in the context that I think of this passage and what I'm trying to get across to you, that we are not going to take joy in that divine retribution. Because, but for the grace of God, you deserve that divine retribution. I'm so glad Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is in the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. To those that are in Christ Jesus, I am so glad that the depths of no condemnation, I mean, just think about it. There's literally nothing in this world that can condemn me. And there's everything in this world that I deserve to be condemned for, but no condemnation because I'm in Christ, I'm baptized in Him, I'm completely covered up in Him. But Romans 8.1 is still in the Bible, but Romans 9.3 is there too, where Paul says, man, I love my people so much, I wish I could take the curse. I wish I could take the condemnation for them. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ frees believers, but it condemns the rejectors. But the question is, and I think that's what he's getting at in verse 6, how will they know where they stand? Look what he says in verse 6. He says, God's going to judge the quick and the dead, verse 5. Verse 6, and for, for this cause was the gospel preached also unto them, to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to, the, to the, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. His point there is that these quick and the dead, living or dead, no matter what, you're going to face God's judgment, but you're always going to be held to God's standard. And there's gonna come a time when they cross over, they die, and they face God. They're going to give an account for their lives. But you know what? They live right now. There's people that you live beside, there's family members that you know. They right now have a chance to accept this God and try through the Holy Spirit of God, because they've been redeemed, to live according to God's standards, to be done with sin like you're done with sin. Do you know what we need to be doing? We need to live in such a way that we demonstrate, that we, that we preach His standards with our lives. We're going to, as, as the, Peter says in chapter 2, verse 21, we're going to follow in the steps of the Lord. We're going to suffer the rejection. We're going to suffer the mockery. We're going to live according to the will of God because it would be shameful, absolutely shameful, if these people, your neighbors, your family, your, those people you work with, if they were judged by standards that you're not willing to live by, wouldn't that be awful? They look at your life and they say, well, he's all right with it, she's good with it, I guess it's fine. But then they get to heaven, or rather they get before the judge, and God judges them, condemns them for the very behavior that you just said I ain't worried about. How awful would that be? How shameful would that be? You see, to have the same mind as Christ who suffered for the world's sin means we're going to care more about their soul, even if they are against us, than getting back at them. We're going we're, we're to have that same mind. You know what Christ did? He put other people before him. We're actually going to put others first. We're going to say, what does this, that action I'm taking, what does it make my neighbor think of Christ? Not think of me, but think of Christ. We're going to have that same mind that sees that we're going to have to suffer and we're willing to do that if it takes it to show the world that God loves them. We're going to, if we're actually going to have the mind of Christ, we're going to certainly focus on pleasing God. We're going to prepare to endure some hard times and we're going to seek to faithfully witness to the world. We're told not to make provision for the flesh. That doesn't just mean being good. It does mean to be good, but that's not what it means necessarily. It means rooting out those opportunities for sin in our lives. Resisting to the point of blood, I think the way the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 4. Tell your, tell your mind, tell your eyes, tell your body, no, you can't do that. You're done with sin. Even if nobody's going to know, even if it makes you uncomfortable, you're going to say no. Living a life that is out in the open. Allowing others to judge you, yes, but showing them what God's standards look like in the way you live and the way you talk. As Jude put it, of some have compassion making a difference and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. If there's just one soul that can be saved because you said no to your stinking rotten flesh, wouldn't that be worth it all? That might suffer, it might hurt, It might sting a little bit. You might be uncomfortable for a little bit, but I believe that that's worth it all. Let's be done with sin. Let's not be willing to put up with it any longer. Instead, we want to please God. Endure hardness if necessary, but witness the true gospel of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.